Hello and welcome to Movement Disorder Podcast. I am Danish Bahati. This week's podcast will focus on concept and experience of Movement Disorders Fellowship. We will discuss this topic with our Movement Disorders Fellows. We will talk to them about the anguish and anxieties of choosing a Movement Disorder Fellowship and going through it. The pros and cons of the choice and how it has changed their lives. Guys, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm James Shu. Uh, first year fellow, originally trained on the East Coast and now I'm here at sunny sunny Omaha, Rasco Medical Center. I'm Ryan Brennan, one of the second year fellows. I grew up in Michigan originally, did my residency in Wisconsin, and then came here uh, in Omaha. My name is Luis Ayas. I'm originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico. I work as a general neurologist for three years before coming here when I decided to do one year clinical track fellowship. I'm Becky Thompson. I'm originally from Massachusetts. Um, I'm one of the second year fellows here. And after doing my medical school in St. Martin in New York, I came to Nebraska for my uh, neurology residency before staying here for my fellowship. Movement Disorder Fellowship is a one to two years of additional training that a neurologist decides to go through after completing a neurology residency training and becoming a full neurologist. This is not required and the neurologist does not require any fellowship to see the same patients and practice with all the same tools. So it really has only educational value to the person but does not add any financial value. It actually requires a sacrifice of work for another one to two years on a much reduced salary and continuing with additional academic burden of research and educational activities. If you think about it, on surface, it makes no sense. So guys, why did you decide to do a movement disorder fellowship? So in my case, after working for three years as a general neurologist in a small rural town in Illinois, I realized the necessity of having this type of specialty in my community. Patients usually need to drive two, three, four hours to find this type of care. So my goal is to complete this fellowship so I can bring this knowledge to my community. Mine is similar to Luis's, although I think it's a much harder decision for him to leave private practice uh-huh. and come back and go through the training process again. Exactly. But very similar in respects to residency, at least where I trained, was very inpatient focused. So lots of experience in training with stroke, neurocritical care. However, when it comes to outpatient chronic conditions, diseases, and managing those, we really had a limited experience, and Uh the limited experiences I did have with movement disorders, um, Parkinson's disease, and seeing the benefits you can provide to patients, realizing how much I didn't know, and and wanting to to have a better uh, knowledge base so I could help patients moving forward with those conditions. Well, in my case, I guess it was, I originally went to neurology thinking I would do, you know, stroke. That, because that was the main focus, and that is a very important part of you know what we do in neurology itself. But to be honest, movement disorders itself, as a fellowship, as a subspecialty, was not very prominent at all in any location where I trained. It was, I felt it was actually underrepresented. Most of the residents didn't even have any sort of required training in movement disorders at all, and it remained kind of a mystery to me. I didn't really make my decision until, admittedly, right you know in the fourth year like of my training when I did it as a an elective to try something new at least I was very impressed with 
the amount of skill that one has to have in, in terms of observational ability and the level of detail one has to like synthesize information on top of that to make the diagnosis. Furthermore, I liked outpatient more than inpatient, so. Um, I think for me, I had a little bit of a skewed view kind of doing my residency here at University of Nebraska. Um, I know that the when I came here to interview, it was a Thursday. It was one of the first people I met here was Dr. Torres, who did my interview, and he was like mm. coming from surgery that day. And I don't think I fully even understood at the time really what DBS was or anything like that. And I could just see kind of how excited he was about it. Throughout my residency, having the chance to work a lot with Dr. Torres and also working with Dr. Bertoni every Monday in my continuity clinic, I kind of, I don't know if I was brainwashed. I like to think that I made the decision on my own to go into movement <laughs> disorders, but it just seemed like the natural step to kind of do um, the fellowship and be able to be fully specialized, seeing movement disorder patients, something I love doing, rather than seeing like general neurology patients. Cool. James, you kind of mentioned that uh, you did some electives in movement disorders, and I know in my residency I also did electives in movement disorders. Does anyone else had that same experience of doing electives in movement disorders? So we had about three months of elective time in the fourth year, and first month did that just kind of as for fun, but then got, oh, there's DBS, there's Botox, and I was like, this is cool. I got L patient, I got a little bit of surgical side, and hands-on experience as well. So it felt like, okay, this is more than I can do with stroke. But one of the things I'd say about the, um, the electives is that it kind of, it gave you enough to intrigue you and to grab your interest. But looking forward, if you want to be able to provide all of those um, therapeutic modalities for your patients, such as DBS and Botox, um, I really learned in those that it was going to take much more training. It sounds like uh, a lot of you were intrigued by it with movement disorders, but at the same time you felt that you didn't know enough during your residency training. Is that the sense we're getting? Yes, absolutely. That definitely. There is a significant deficiency in, in terms of uh, teaching when you do a uh, neurology residency. So uh, even as a general neurologist, you would need a lot of movement yeah, disorders? Yeah, I sometimes, uh, many times, uh, used to refer patients to uh, a movement disorder doctor because uh, you get like kind of uh, stuck with the, what should I do now mm. because the lack of knowledge. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. What were you guys most worried about uh, before starting Movement Disorder Fellowship? I think I was probably um, most worried about just, I understood that there was so much that I didn't know. I think I probably had no idea how much I didn't know at that time, but I think just kind of like switching over to all movement disorders and the like nuances of the exam and everything was definitely overwhelming at the beginning. I think you touched on it already, just the knowledge base that was there and what do I need to do what do I need to study what do I need to learn beforehand and then early on when starting it, you kind of sink back and say well all right what did I learn during residency because a lot of that kind of went out the window or it was worthless very <laughs> <laughs> different approach in movement disorders <laughs> yes yes now your localization doesn't help anymore right <laughs> James well I was afraid that there's a lot more skill than I could manage and even though I could maybe kind of get close to it, but it's always, there's, there's always so much more information that I'd have to consider. I was not worried 
too much. Uh, I'm just I just was excited to learn from you guys, but not too much worry. Cool. We have two second year fellows here, and you know, even the first year fellows have been here for seven months. You're all almost seventy percent done with your fellowship, Louis. So, what have you guys found the hardest part of your movement disorder fellowship? I think uh, the Botox clinic is a difficult part to identify which muscle are you going to inject, how much. So, and especially when people have different approach. It may not just yeah. be the Botox clinic, it might be the yeah. three injectors who are so different. <laughs> yeah, you're right, exactly. <laughs> but this is the most difficult part that requires time, tease, I, and I think uh, with time you we keep getting better. Yes, um, going Botox, I agree with it. DBS planning, especially you, how to, you know, with the microelectrode recording, and then you know how to plan and how to move the electrode. But I also like to add on, for me personally, still the ultimate challenge relies lies in telling apart some psychogenic patients. Mm. Now you you got a lot of this information, but then some people have something real on top of psychogenicity. So and how to tell that apart still, rather than kind of just say, okay. Uh, and, the, and the other thing is, uh, how do you approach those patients? Yes. Uh, this is, I think, is very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> yeah. uh, because sometimes uh, we are almost 100% sure. The problem here sometimes is, uh, how do you approach those patients? And that's the tricky part. Do you think, Louis, are you more sure about telling apart psychogenic versus non-psychogenic movement disorders? Oh yeah, definitely. For sure. <laughs> I'd say yeah. less so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, I think the most... That happens in second yeah. year, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 First year, you're very sure. Like, I can tell. <laughs> no, 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 no. Second the, year, you're mixing it all up again. <laughs> yes, there, there is one phenomenology that is extremely complex, uh, and it's a dystonia. Sometimes it's very, very difficult to differentiate um, uh, psychogenic uh, from, from organic uh, dystonia. How about the second-year fellows? What you have been here longer? What you have? Tremor remains one of the most difficult. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Complaints agree. to what you touched on though is also difficult to keep track of, and that's the uh, techniques of three different attendings as far as uh, or preferences, I should say. Um, I agree with the tremor. I've heard Dr. Torres's tremor lecture probably four or five times now, and it's like just when you think you understand it, then you go examine a patient and it all falls apart. And you can have at video rounds, we have four movement disorder experts sitting in one room, all arguing over the phenomenology that they're looking at in one video. So you sit there wondering how are you supposed to, like, what is the right answer? And it just gets harder. What about some of the things that you really loved about your fellowship? And I, I think uh, this fellowship in Omaha, what I like the most about the group is like uh, it's like a family. All of you guys are very nice. You guys are always uh, teaching. This your main thing is teaching. Uh, it's not just putting us to do things and work. It's just you guys are very worried about us. What are going to what What are we going to learn? And this is the kind of things that I love about you guys. That was a big reason why I chose here. One, like Luis said, the people. Um, that was a big uh, factor for me. But two, the dedicated curriculum and to find uh, a curriculum, a structured curriculum, um, like one here, I, I don't know how many other programs out in the country have that. One of the things that struck me about this program is 
I guess, the level of freedom. It's not as dogmatic. It's not like, okay, this is exactly what we have to do. They, a lot of the, the educators are are pushing boundaries. They're finding better ways to educate, new ways of teaching. Uh, Dr. Torres, Dr. Body yourself, kind of get excited about it. So, so that's really good. I agree with all three of them. I that's think. easy going right. last. I know. Because yeah. I just agree with all of the above. I kind of do that during conferences. So. I know these tactics. Yeah. Is it kind of a UNMC trait? Is it because I, I we did our residency so, yeah, here? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> if we could all turn back uh, and go back in our past, would we do it again? I would definitely would do it again. Without uh, a doubt. There's, there's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. If I had known about movement disorders as much as I do now, or at least a little bit, even a partial amount as I do now, I would have declared much earlier, and that would have <laughs> that would have been been awesome. Talking about more practical aspects of doing this fellowship, how do you guys think it will affect your career and your interactions with your patients? In my case, I will specialize my clinic. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this, is because I don't want to practice general neurology uh, per se. I just uh, want to specialize my clinic, probably 60% of movement disorder, and the rest uh, in other areas that I'm also specialized. I think that, um, yeah, the ability to specialize and see all movement disorder patients is definitely a plus of doing the fellowship. It's probably easier to be able to do that going into academic medicine versus um, in private practice. I think also that doing the two-year fellowship, being able to see um, from a range of different kind of mentors the different ways that academic medicine can be practiced and arranged, um, it's definitely beneficial and has made it so that I've learned kind of what I want out of my next job. You know, being comfortable with uh, a therapeutic technology like DBS, in which not is, isn't offered everywhere, and not even general neurologists feel comfortable managing it, you know, making adjustments, uh, or being able to troubleshoot when there's side effects and. Uh, the comfort level I have with that technology now, and this is just one aspect, um, has made the fellowship, you know, uh, very valuable for me. The the two years that I'll spend uh, on on this fellowship is definitely worth it because the solidification of my level of confidence and on how to manage the, the more the complex, finer aspects of DBS or or Botox, but also just. Three of you are almost done and would be leaving, and uh, even you, James, starting is half done. Where do you guys see yourself five years from now, Dr. Thompson? Hopefully I'll be settled into uh, an academic position, you know, getting more settled into teaching residents. And, um, you know, I think that the example that has been set throughout this fellowship of kind of the benefits of structured movement disorder education is something that I would like to kind of bring with me as I go. So I see myself uh, working in a non-academic center, seeing uh, mostly movement disorder patients. So the next five years, from what Dr. Torres tells me, is where we uh, learn the most as far as just coming out of training. So. It'll be interesting, but a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm also going into an academic position, returning back to Wisconsin. You know, I'm always very clinical. Teaching is never something that's come easy to me, uh, but you guys have definitely inspired me. Yeah, as for me, it's uh, still a little ways off, but uh, so 
I uh, imagine myself in being in first an academic institution and kind of establishing myself there and kind of getting myself my, my name out there and this has been great and uh, let's end on an exciting note one of the things traditions we have on this podcast is asking uh, each uh, guest one thing about themselves that they're going to tell that nobody they think nobody knows about them i played the oboe for <laughs> about 5 years Professionally? No. Never? <laughs> no. Did you ever perform in a bar? Or? I was in a, no, I was in a, um, like a band in uh, middle school, and then I quit in high school because you couldn't do sports and band. So I'm always uh, looking for something to compete. So, for example, I, my goal now is to run 5K less than 20 minutes. Cool. So you're training? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I have several things about me, but okay. One of them is um, so I, I English. I know English. I know Mandarin Chinese. I know a little bit of, like conversational Spanish, and I'm trying to learn Korean right now. Yeah. Wow. I was in L.A. and New York uh, for part of my training, and so they were in heavy um, heavy Hispanic uh, pop- population patient population base. So why Korean? Because my girlfriend's Korean. Okay. You are an open book, Dr. Brennan. They yeah, know everything about you. Everybody knows, I think, pretty much everything. I'm trying to think of something that they don't, but I've been to India twice. Sometimes I tell people that, and they look at me surprised. Um, and I'm With not Steve Jobs? or <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually did uh, my last uh, rotation in medical school in India, mm. uh, in Gujarat, and that was a, a very eye-opening. Gandhi was from Gujarat. Uh, yeah. If you like Indian food, uh, it's. I haven't been able to find anything like it here in the mm. states, as far as restaurants go. So very cool. You haven't been to my home. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody has any other messages for residents or any other thoughts, ideas? Pick movement disorders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pick UNMC. Keep your mind open, but pick movement disorders. <laughs> Keep working hard. I agree with all of those. it's remarkable how fascinating the world of movement disorders is and just to look at one facet of it can mesmerize you i hope you're as thrilled as i am about today's episode your feedbacks and suggestions are highly appreciated so write to us at unmc.mdpodcast at gmail.com and follow me on twitter at danishbahati underscore md that is at D-A-N-I-S-H-B-H-A-T-T-I underscore M-D. Hope to see you next time. Ciao, ciao.